Welcome to the Thanks Therapy podcast. Before we start, if you're in crisis or need urgent support, please Google the Samaritans and the country in which you live. Help can be found online and via the phone. We also put local and national helpline numbers and links in the show notes and on social media. Don't suffer alone. Things can and will get better. Enjoy the show. Hello, I'm Hannah Lydon. And I am Dr. Emma Lydon, and this is our therapy appreciation podcast, Thanks Therapy. We hope to demystify, destigmatize, and encourage the appreciation of good and useful therapy. Thanks Therapy! Thanks Therapy! So we have been asked by the organisers of the Northern Ireland Mental Health Arts Festival to make an episode on their theme this year, which is Gather. Mm-hmm. Given that we totally love mental health yeah. and we love the arts and we do enjoy gathering in many of its forms, it's safe to say we're delighted to be able to contribute. Absolutely. And we've been thinking a lot about the theme of this year's festival, Gather. Actually, we began to work on this episode just as I was coming out of a COVID isolation. You had COVID? Yeah, it was so bad, I gotta say. I know we've talked about it before on the podcast. I mean, I was actually someone who enjoyed lockdown 2020. But Seems. the reality of isolating for two weeks while very sick at times with my two kids and the two dogs and Marty was not as fun as I thought it was going to be. Mm. We were simultaneously like unable to achieve much alone time and also, quite frankly, lonely. Mm. And I had so many hours to think about this because the routine was that that I would get up at like 6 or 7 a.m. with the dogs and then everyone else would get up several hours later. And so it was awful. So I spent quite a lot of time thinking about the quality of my own loneliness and I was able to realize that it's the particular quality of the interactions that were missing. So I had company, very pleasant company. I love my family. They're some of my favorite people, luckily. Yeah. Um, and when we were locked down but healthy, we used that time often being quite active and creative, funnily enough, yeah. which helped distract and maintain your mental health, I think. But when we were actually sick, our range of coping tools reduced. Mm-hmm. I really just wanted to be able to go for a meal with a friend or a drink or a coffee or a walk even. And because I don't do the phone, and nor does anyone else I know really apart from my mum, I had no alternative interaction. So I began to feel kind of abandoned and unimportant to anyone. That is deeply sad. Yes, it was awful. I want you to know you're never unimportant to anyone. Oh, thanks very much, Hans. You're a VIP to many. Oh. So as we've been working on our material for this episode, I also contracted COVID-19. Yes. Making it my second time with the virus. <laughs> Emma, oh man. I know. I was so it was sick. Rough. It was so bad and... That was some of the most miserable days of my life. You had recovered from yours when I fell ill and you you warned me. Mm-hmm. I sent you a photo of a positive test and you warned me and said, I had some of the worst low moods of my life during this illness, so just be careful. Yes. And I was like, ha, I know about low moods, girl, don't talk to me. And then I came to really appreciate that warning because... I realized then that that low mood is a symptom. Of yes, that. It seems to be a and symptom. Yeah. I also have never been so miserably lonely in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is interesting because the first time I had COVID, I was living with a friend. We weren't that sick. We we that was back in twenty twenty when we thought you just got it once and then it was going to be finished. Yeah, we didn't realize. 
and we just had like a party for seven days and watched show together, shows together, did makeup. Um, but that, like I say, the general global outlook then was very different to as it is now. Yeah. I think getting sick with COVID now is drastically different because we're so far into the experience of isolating, being separated. It's now getting really tiring and sad. Yeah, the novelty has worn off. Um, and it's harder to have that experience two years into something now that all the drama has kind of worn off mm-hmm. and it just feels like a grind. Yeah. So the theme of Gather is a lovely antidote to that, I'd mm-hmm. say. We have a newfound appreciation for the word itself. Oh, I agree so much. I mean, I remember when we thought there would be one big moment where yeah. we were all out having a big street party or something. Yeah. And that doesn't seem to be how this is ending. That's not going to be the way. No. <laughs> However, we are more able to gather together now, though not everybody feels entirely positive about it. Um, and you, obviously this has been on a global scale. So I, I know that some people were more isolated than I have been. And I recognize my privilege to be able to isolate with people that I love and enjoy the company of. Yeah. But I think no matter what your circumstances, in general, people have missed the ability to gather together in groups, small and big to socialize and share time together or share art together. Yeah. So I wanted to talk briefly about the psychological issues that have arisen for people because we've been unable to get together. Okay, hit me. So according to research, of which there has been tons, mm-hmm. um, the most common psychological symptoms emerging are anxiety and panic disorders, insomnia, digestive problems, as well as depressive symptoms and post-traumatic stress. Well, shit. Uh, So these are not only a direct consequence of the pandemic, but as a result of prolonged social isolation. And I talked about there how I felt lonely even when my family were present because what we're missing is a particular social interaction that fulfill a need. And for some people, the need for those interactions is much greater. They serve an even more significant role in maintaining the individual's well-being and forming a part of their identity. Mm I would include, you know, people who work in in the arts as well with that because often part of their identity is delivering their art, whether they're an actor on the stage or musician or, you know. So the medical journal The Lancet recently published an article from which a clear and alarming picture emerges. Mm. So periods of isolation, even less than 10 days, can have long-term effects with the presence up to three years later of psychiatric symptoms. Mm. So... Although it was very necessary for us to lock down and isolate and maintain separation from each other, humans are not designed to manage separation in this way, for, for certainly not for long periods. We are social animals yeah. and we're unable to live isolated from others. So this is why when people broke lockdown, I knew it was a bad idea, but I also understood why they would. Um And another thing that I think we will continue to see the consequences of are the fact that we've been conditioned by this pandemic to see others as dangerous for our health. And some researchers are arguing that this has cultivated a new universal belief based on vulnerability to harm, whereby proximity to fellow human beings poses a direct threat. Yeah. I'll talk a little bit more about that later. That is very significant. I am really taken aback by that figure that you read from the Lancet, mm-hmm. periods of isolation, even less than 10 days, yeah. can have long-term effects with presence up to three years later mm-hmm. of psychiatric symptoms. Mm-hmm. That's massive. Mm-hmm. I think we all know on some instinctive level that isolation is a bad thing yeah. for our human brains, but that really puts it into stark contrast. Yes. Um, 
let's talk about the specifics of yes. what makes gathering, social interaction, being around nice people so good for our brains. Yes, let's. Um, I did some research, Emma. Excellent, I love that. Psychologist Susan Pinker has said the following on this topic. Okay. She says, face-to-face contact releases a whole cascade of neurotransmitters and, like a vaccine, they protect you now in the present and well into the future. So simply shaking hands, giving somebody a high five is enough to release oxytocin, which increases your level of trust and it lowers your cortisol levels, so it lowers your, lowers your stress. She goes on to mention that dopamine is also released um, in social interactions, which is an important one for feeling just better in general life. Mm-hmm. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter and it works in relation to how we experience pleasure. It has a lot to do with how we think and plan. Interestingly, it is also one of the brain juices active in relation to processes around addiction and instant gratification. Yes. I went down a kind of dopamine rabbit hole and found some really cool stuff. May I share? Yes, please do. I found this NPR article about connection, about the connection between like doodling, drawing and sharing art. They had spoken to a professor at Drexel University called Jerija Kemal. And I'll read straight from the article here. Um, Kamal and a team of researchers discovered this in a 2017 paper published in the journal The Arts and Psychotherapy. They measured blood flow to the brain's reward center, the medial prefrontal cortex, Mm -hmm. in 26 participants as they completed three art activities, coloring in a mandala, doodling and drawing freely on a blank sheet of paper. Mm. And indeed, the researchers found an increase in blood flow to this part of the brain when the participants were making art. This research suggests... Making art may have benefit for people dealing with health conditions that activate the reward pathways in the brain, like addictive behaviours, eating disorders or mood disorders, mm. the researchers wrote. Yeah. Um, that is all dopamine business right there. Yeah. And the suggestion is that for humans, engaging with creative work is hugely beneficial to our brains and our mental well-being, which I find extremely baller as a concept. Yeah. Um, I love the fact that, you know, social interaction or connection and engaging in art um, are so beneficial to our, you know, the positive mental health. I think that's the sauce right there. And that's what we're talking about. And it's what we've missed when we were unable to engage in all the activities that are inherently in person and group. Mm -hmm. So like musics, concerts, exhibitions, workshops. Musics. Musics. (laughs) I mean, I have done many music. I love the musics. We did a lot of musics by ourselves. You make music. But um, we did miss gigging. And so these activities are a fundamental part of, you know, the identity of many people. And they're attached to the well-being of artists involved. And that takes a huge psychological toll when that had to cease. Mm-hmm. You know, for musicians, for example, speaking from my own experience, um, you know, many musicians who are our friends and colleagues, their jobs stopped and they didn't start again for nearly two years. Mm. So we were all doing like Facebook live streams, which were interesting, but they were were not at all the same. Yeah, it's not the same. And we actually played our first gig of the year a few weeks ago at the new um, cultural hub in 2 Royal Avenue in Belfast. And there was a lovely big crowd of people there and there was a whole load of swing dancers and they were dancing, and it was just an atmosphere of total joy. That is deeply gorgeous, mm. what you said. It was. <laughs> it was lovely. I like I like the feeling of being in like a venue or a space where performance is happening or like an exhibition because you feel like a silent understanding or connection with other people there. Mm. Um, 
I think when we're talking about any form of art, like musical performance, seeing a play, hearing someone read their work, seeing work in a gallery, I don't think we're really just talking about the material itself. No. We're talking about like the sense of community that comes from simply being there and you're showing up for yourself in a way, which I like to think about. Yeah. Because art in all its forms provides a focal experience, which is like fundamentally emotional in nature. And within that, we can share like a collective experience. Yes, absolutely. Um, Emma. Yes. Do you remember going to see a performance by Una Doherty in the Mac Belfast? I do. Yeah, it was very, it was so memorable. I couldn't forget it ever. I think that was 2016. Wow, was that right? And you and I went along on on Mark's recommendation, Mm -hmm. not knowing what we were going to see. Really? No. And neither of us know or knew anything about contemporary dance or even who the artists were. Yeah. And we both left this performance feeling like transformed, elated, uh-huh. like we had just seen something incredibly important. We're still talking about it five years later. I know, yeah. It was amazing. And I think about that specific experience a lot because I think I had been struggling around that time with kind of feeling like my life was dragging along pointlessly because I was 25. And that's how you feel when you're 25, that is I think. exactly how you feel when you're 25. 25. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and something about being at that performance switched something on in my brain that has not since been switched off. That's amazing. A sense of knowing that, it, that in life there's like a undercurrent of connection through things that you are exposed to. And feeling that is essential, at least for me personally, to feel alive. Mm. One of the things that I love about that, so I had never seen any contemporary dance live before that performance that we went to watch. And it was startling. It was so arresting. It was just like, wow, I couldn't believe what was happening in front of me. And one of the things that I feel about contemporary dance is it's it's so um, lacking in self-consciousness. Like that's nearly, it's nature. It Mm -hmm. has to remove that self-consciousness and just be free and and witnessing that is so powerful in itself mm-hmm. it's just oh that's that's the power of art and the power of dance baby can only really be a good thing to have a removal of self-consciousness yeah really however i would like to bring the mood down again hannah okay. if you don't mind all right um <laughs> i think that might be our role in this particular episode <laughs> but i wanted to talk a bit about the fact that for some people it wasn't a completely positive thing to end lockdown because mm-hmm. I do think that there's a, this ambivalence. And as we were, um, you know, preparing this episode, I was thinking about our ability now to gather once more. Mm-hmm. And we have to recognize that um, for some people, it was, in fact, a situation which filled them with anxiety. So I wanted to break this down a little bit and talk about why that might be the case for some of us. So the first thing I wanted to say is that there is not one single thing wrong with you if this is how you felt when everyone was like, yay, we can get back together for a concert or an exhibition or a workshop. Normal, fine. It's completely normal that you would have some questions about whether that was safe, is it the right time, do you feel okay with it, how do you feel about seeing people again? Yeah. Um, And there is a social psychologist called Amy Cuddy who has named this pandemic flux syndrome. Mm -hmm. So Cuddy is the best-selling author and Harvard social psychologist whose TED talk on par poses has been watched nearly 63 million times. I've seen that. Have you? I haven't. I'm going to have to look it up. It's pretty good. So in August, she wrote an article for the Washington Post which explained how 
the joy many Americans felt after the first lockdown lifted had been replaced by blunted emotions, spikes in anxiety and depression, and a desire to drastically change something about their lives. Mm. And these emotions, she explained, are the hallmarks of pandemic's flux syndrome. And she's basically saying that resulting for, from all these periods of flux, all these changes, um, mixed signals coming from um, government officials about COVID-related health threats and unpredictable changes in how the world was going to be, um, had led people to a real sense of uncertainty about mm-hmm. how to proceed in life. Um, and then adding to that the fact that the rules about social behaviour, which had been fairly well established over the generations of our lives, yeah. <laughs> suddenly were not that clear. Mm. Do we wear masks here? Do we not wear masks here? Are we doing elbows? Are we shaking hands? Mm-hmm. Do we hug? You know, I, I've never been asked so many times in my life, are you hugging? Yeah, are you Are hugging? you doing hugs? Are you... The answer to that, actually, just for the listeners, has always been no for me. You're not a hugger. I'm I not do a hugger. like a hug unless... I don't like you, in which case you'll, it'll be clear. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just it's completely understandable when you think about it that way. Um, for me, whenever I realised that it was going to end and we were going to go back to um, not just like, you know, meeting for a coffee or going to a restaurant or stuff like that, but that we were going to go back to gigs. Mm-hmm. So my first thought was, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do that again. Yeah. And um, I think I sort of freaked Marty out when I raised this. Because I was like, I'm not feeling that good about, like, you know, if we got a gig, I'm not sure I would be that happy about it. Mm. And really what I needed to give myself was a bit of time. Yeah. Just a bit of time to adjust to the changes and get used to um, interacting with people again. Yeah, like reconsidering a thing that you used to do easily mm-hmm. with new considerations that you've never had to consider before yeah I follow this Irish comedian on Instagram who I love so much he's called Carl Mullen and one of the things he does is Ireland on the phone to like the price of petrol or something <laughs> and so he did Ireland on the phone to lockdown and he was going hello is that lockdown <laughs> oh all right love oh yeah I'm grand but I'm missing you you know oh you know it's just oh it's people you know yourself sure since you've gone, the people think it's all right to call around to the house and all. Oh, it's just brilliant. <laughs> He's so great. funny. And so relatable. Because I remember saying to somebody, maybe before Christmas or something like that, about, um, oh, you know, I could just do with a wee lockdown. Mm-hmm. I just felt ready to, like, put the house clothes on, yes. put the inside clothes on, and, you know, and not go out. And yes. just, you know, and not have to engage in... The rat race, so to speak, and the rushing about of normal daily life. Because there was that aspect of it that was sort of permission to stop. Yeah. You know, permission to stop the running around, the stress. Um, I think I've told you about this before, and I don't know if I've talked about it in this podcast, but there was a piece of research done. I mean, as I said, there was tons of research done into yeah. the psychological impact of COVID. Everybody who does research into in psychology, mental health, anything like that, got money to do research into COVID, rapid research, basically. Yes. That's what happened. So Please do the research. One of the things, one of the pieces of research which came out quite quickly was in my area, which was parents with mental illness um, and how the first lockdown had impacted them. 
And I think I'm sure I've told you about this because it was a very surprising result, which was that 60% of, of people, of parents with mental illness, didn't have a deterioration in their mental health, mm-hmm. had an improvement in their mental health symptoms as a result of the very first lockdown. Mm-hmm. And what they began to realise, because they what they expected was that everybody's mental health would be much worse yeah. because of the stress and the anxiety of the pandemic and the fact that everybody was then shoved into a house together, you know, without being able to leave freely. Mm-hmm. But what they realised was that the the removal of the stress of the school run and the lunches and the and the you know all the day to day stresses, the removal of that actually reduced their mental health symptoms. Wow! In about sixty percent of people, but it was a surprising result. Yeah. So. For some people, sorry, I went totally off the point there, but for some people, whenever lockdown ended, it wasn't entirely straightforward to just go back into society because um, you're dealing with a certain amount of risk involved with your engagement with the social world now. Yeah. And while that might not have been there for everybody before, for people with social anxiety, it's actually always been there, Mm -hmm. although not for the same reasons. So for people who maybe always had a little bit of social anxiety or for people who maybe had related anxieties that weren't specifically social, mm-hmm. the prolonged isolation of lockdown, the fact that we stopped those interactions, which by their nature, by their repetition, we become more aware that they're safe. Yeah. Once you remove them, then you don't have that information saying, actually, that was okay when I went to the shop. Actually, that was okay when I met those friends. And so it exacerbated people's social anxiety, certainly when when coming out of lockdown and and trying to enter back into those um, social engagements. So um, and then the continued slight risk of, you know, the illness and the social distancing measured created potential in some people for a new and spicy variety of anxiety with a social flavor. Yeah, big time. I am. I used to think that I n- didn't have social anxiety. Mm. And then in therapy recently, I was describing a lot of problems that I was having and they were correctly identified as social anxiety, masquerading as, um, you know, me being life and soul of the party, which is always interesting to learn about oneself. But also, I, I think I've mentioned this before in this podca- podcast that I have like a light sprinkling of agoraphobic tendencies. Yeah. Um, I would like to add another perspective, mm-hmm. which is that of, because I work in hospitality when I'm not making this hit podcast. <laughs> and I remember going back to work for the first time when we were going to let people, you know, come in and sit down and we would serve them at tables and yeah. we would be close to them. And I had quite a spectacular meltdown mm. in work at my boss because I was anticipating being so overwhelmed. And it kind of proved to be true. And also there was a new... Like anyone who's worked in hospitality knows it can be stressful. People can be rude. You don't really know what each interaction is going to bring. Mm. And then there was this added thing of I was having to, we were having to enforce rules to do with COVID. Yeah. Like, please, can you put a mask on? Mm -hmm. Please, can you, you know, not bring 15 children in all at once? Um, You're suddenly like a rule enforcer. You're having to kind of, it became slightly political. There's quite a lot of, um, dramatic confrontation involved. Yeah. And I was like, I just am here to make coffee. I don't know what's going on. Um, and yeah, I, I did have anxiety about going to work for it's quite so a long stressful. time. Because I was like, how each time I ask somebody to do something, like comply with 
whatever rules are in place, there could be a huge confrontation. Yeah. Or they've just forgot their mask. Yeah. But you don't know every time. So every time you say, oh, do you mind popping a mask on? Or mm-hmm. do you have a mask? Or are you able to wear a mask? Mm-hmm. You don't know if they're going to go, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Or if they're going to go and say, oh, I read on Twitter that blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So I was just constantly a little bit frazzled. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talked about it a lot in therapy because I had, like you say, I was one of the people who liked early lockdown. Yeah. And then suddenly I was having, you know, re-entry problems. Trying yeah. To, trying to enter the social atmosphere and being like, oh. With an added load of stress on top of it that you don't know if you're going to be in a confrontation every five minutes yeah. with somebody. And I don't enjoy confrontation. And customers. Generally. Oh, Lord. Customers. Customer service. I remember it was... It wasn't fun. Not fun. And there was no masks at the time or any of that <laughs> added difficulty. Hannah. Yeah? I have realized that for people who are just joining us for this episode because um, it's for the NI Mental Health and Arts Festival. Yes. Uh, they might be wondering why we haven't really talked about therapy so far. Oh, because our podcast is called Thanks Therapy. And because we do talk about therapy almost you know, too much, really. But we also talk about mental health in general and, you know, psychological issues in general. And just items of note. But um, therapy and the delivery of therapy obviously was affected by the pandemic. Um, This is something I've been doing lectures on recently. Mm -hmm. Um, The use of digital technology to deliver therapeutic interventions. And we know that individual counselling, therapy, assessments, consultations were all affected and moved online. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking, especially with regards to the theme of Gather, that group therapy services that so many people have relied on would obviously have been disproportionately affected. We talked a bit about group therapy in our episode on self-help because we discovered that the origins of group therapy, such as AA, mm-hmm. or group support, I suppose, was classified as the self-help movement. Mm-hmm. So basically, rather than wait for a professional to organize the group, those with lived experience organized the group themselves. And they had great results. Um, but often group therapy is ca- carried out because it's an efficient way to provide support to, you know, 10 people at the same time frame. Um, you know, it's cost effective, really. But... Um, it actually has additional psychological benefits that it might offer over and above an individual session, which again, we discussed previously. Yes. Unsurprisingly, it reduces feelings of isolation and it reduces stigma and it normalizes whatever particular difficulty it is you're going with. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And not just um, reducing isolation as we've been talking about in terms of separation or aloneness, but just to clarify that sense of isolation that comes from feeling that you're the only one with a particular problem. So often when I've known people to engage in group therapy, they talk about the fact that people say it was such a relief to know it wasn't just me experiencing these things. Yeah. And because of that fact, it also then reduces the stigma, mm-hmm. which is part of our mission statement here at TT. And also the... Um, Northern Ireland Mental Health and Arts Festival. That's a big reducing stigma is one of their mission statements Lethal. as well. Yeah. Um, so those are some of the biggest benefits from group therapy. I think often people think of group therapy as a lesser option because there's thought to be a sacrifice of emotional depth yes. versus individual therapy. But I say to you, Emma, mm-hmm. 
Is there a sacrifice? Possibly. I think no. Oh, you have a counterpoint? I would like to reframe. Okay. I'm a big fan of group therapy, even though I have not had a lot of experience with it. I have Mm -hmm. had it informally um, in the form of Al-Anon, which I think I've talked about before. But I, the thing that I like about it is there's a kind of unpredictability about it. It appeals to your chaotic nature. Yes, mm-hmm. my chaotic neutral yeah. all the way. And you don't know who else is turning up, what they're turning up with, mm-hmm. how it's going to bounce off you and the things you're turning up with. Yeah. There's loads of other people in the mix. Yes. It's a big chaos pot. That can either be, that the idea of that can be daunting or it can be like, hey, something quite spectacular could happen here or has the potential to be quite transformative. Mm. Carl Jung said, the meeting of two personalities is like the contact of two chemical substances. If there's any reaction, both are transformed. I love that one, yeah. So Emma, basically that makes me so interested about life every time Mm. I think about it. It makes me think that every interaction has a great deal of potential. Mm -hmm. And we talk all the time on this podcast about like, the richness of the thing that's happening between the two people in the therapy room. Yes. Um, I think we very likely underestimate our capacity for transformation in the small instances, like in the everyday. Perhaps, yeah. And imagine carrying that idea into a group therapy setting or into a place where you have the potential to be creating something with other people. The impact of that is potentially huge. Yeah, of course. Um. I, it was interesting when you said that people might underestimate that. I don't think I've ever underestimated that. I, As you talked about that, about the, the power of the small interaction, I thought of, I thought, God, I wonder how many hundreds of those type of interactions that I've had that have changed me forever, mm-hmm. you know, that have been really transformative and have changed two people, you know, and have potentially changed something about the world and the course as well. Of and mankind. The, Yes, hopefully, yeah. Um, The exception, I think, in terms of depth. So the argument I was making is that whenever you're in an individual um, therapy relationship with a, so it's just two people in the relationship, that you have the opportunity for depth because it's just you. It's just your story. You You can plunge the depths. You have more time, you know. But I think probably the exception to that often is things like art therapy, um, and play therapy and I don't know that much about art therapy, therapy because I've never done it but I know a little bit about group drama therapy mm-hmm. which is a therapeutic it's again a psychoanalytical therapeutic technique whereby people are invited to role play scenarios in order to help them gain understanding and process their emotions and maybe resolve conflicts and my understanding of it is it is intense mm, I'm not surprised and here, I think rather than there be a sacrifice of emotional depth, there's a potential for emotional overload. Mm-hmm. And all I only know about this, I've never conducted it, I've never been a part of it, but I've had clients who have been involved in it. So they've reported back about what that experience was like, and I find it that it was kind of mind-blowing, you know? Yeah. Well, the way that's been described to me before, I've done a bit of art therapy, but not, not drama-based stuff. Mm. But the way it's been described to me is... Um, it it does something in the the subconscious. Yes. Where you're accessing stuff that you wouldn't normally have the um, capacity to access. Mm-hmm. You're doing it. So if you imagine like your brain is like the earth, you 
chip a little bit at the surface. If you do it cognitively, then definitely you're chipping at the surface, aren't you? Yeah. But then I think the way that I understand it is you leave the situation in which you're practicing that cognitively and then the earth continues to shift beneath. Mm -hmm. So it's it continues on outside the session. Mm -hmm. My understanding of the high creative stuff, because I liked your metaphor there about the chipping away at the Thanks earth. Thanks very much. Um, so my understanding is that creative things uh, penetrate that. they So they get right to the heart of things. And I had an experience. It was actually re, uh, shortly after I had gone through separation um, of my marriage. 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 Marriage was donezo. <laughs> and <laughs> I was... <laughs> and I I was okay, like I was coping, but it was a huge life change. It was a huge thing. And I took my son, Sam, and your sister, Angie, to the Ulster Museum. And it just so happened that that day they had a chamber choir with a string quartet mm. um, playing at the museum. And we came into, we were up on one of the second or third levels, which in the Ulster Museum, there's, this is for people who are not in, in Belfast because we have listeners all over the world. In the Ulster Museum, there's um, an atrium in the very centre. Um, and so all the balconies on the different floors, you can overlook the atrium. And the choir were in the atrium and they began to sing. Oh my God. And I literally dropped to my knees and burst immediately into tears. Oh my God. And I had no control over it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that I thought this is so beautiful and then I began to cry or I didn't think this is so beautiful, it makes me feel sad. And then, which is how normally people experience their emotions. It was instantaneous. It was like an electric shock mm -hmm. had, you know, triggered my emotions. And at the time I was in counseling training, so it meant I had personal therapy and supervision ongoing at the time. And I can't actually remember whether it was my supervisor or my personal therapist, but I talked to them about this and I, they said, yes, that's because art bypasses the cognitive and it goes straight to the heart of things. It goes straight to your feeling centers. It goes straight mm. to the emotional. It touches you. That's what art does, you know, yeah. makes you feel things. Punches uh, you in the feelings. It punches you in the feelings, yeah. I love that. I think it's very beautiful. One of the things about this last two years, this time of our lives, is that it has probably resulted in a lot of art being made. Yeah. I mean, I think we wrote at least two songs um, about, you know, not being together, being able to get together again. Um, I mean, we wrote and recorded, or well, we had written it already, but we recorded an EP while we were in lockdown. Mm -hmm. And we made a couple of music videos over the period of lockdown. And um, I was actually inspired to write a song on the theme of Gather the other night because of a cartoon submitted to the festival by a Megan, Megan Rafferty. I mm -hmm. presume it's Megan Rafferty because on Instagram she is at Megan.R-A-F-F-E-R-T-E-A. Cute. Rafferty. That's cute. Um, and so she did this uh, comic panel. Yeah. And it had panels for gather your friends, gather moments to yourself, gather with people you trust. And I just find it so compelling. You know, there was something that really spoke to me about how beautiful the concept of gather is when you think about it. Yeah. You know, 
I think we all inspire each other with our bits of art that we have created. There, there was other people who were frustrated that they were in lockdown and they weren't able to create art. And I think equally there was both of those experiences that some people were like, ah, people are posting all these things and they're making stuff and they're yeah. doing things and all this activity and I can't get out of my jammies, you know? Yeah. So that's fine as well. That's also fine, yeah. <laughs> and that's totally understandable, yeah. I think it speaks to something we've all experienced in the past two years. We've been inhibited and suddenly stunted in like a massive dramatic way that mm. we can't really do anything about. Um, if for some reason, I, it makes me think of like a river mm-hmm. that suddenly meets like a giant unexpected dam in its path. Mm-hmm. But the water has to go somewhere. So yes. all these little like wells need to spring up elsewhere, find their way into their next stage of existence, which is sort of how life is. Yeah. Um, I like thinking about that with regards to the pandemic because we've had to like reshape redirect mm-hmm. the flow of water and like our approaches to those outlets and how we approach congregating expressing ourselves mm-hmm. um I hope we have with this episode contributed some new and useful thinking to the subject um I also can't wait to see what emerges from the rest of the work being made for the festival or NIMHAF as it's known for short <laughs> oh really is that yeah the NI Mental Health Arts Festival NIMHAF <laughs> I was at a play last night in the Lyric Belfast mm-hmm. and Someone said, are you doing something for Nimhoff? Uh-huh. And I was like, what's Nimhoff? Oh, oh God, they could have been saying that the whole time. I didn't realize I don't know it. if it's common parlance, but oh, right. I'm going to say Nimhoff, baby. Um, Emma, did you like my weird river analogy? Yes, and I have some thoughts about it, actually. Please share. Um, well, what I like is that you um, have these very creative, very artistic analogies and ways of thinking about things, which... You know that thing that you Thank say you. that a former tutor of yours said, which was, you wake up, you be art. You, you make total art. Your life is art. You, your breakfast is art. art. Yeah. Walking to school, art. Don't make it boring. <laughs> he wanted everything to be art. Art, kind of a sexy thing. But if it wasn't sexy, that was okay as well. Find out why it's not sexy. That That's was brilliant. his whole thing. Total art. Well, I have this. So I'm... It's not that I'm the opposite, although we do balance each other quite well, I think, in this podcast and in life. But um, (laughs) my feeling about that was I tend to try to summarize things in the simplest possible terms. So whenever the pandemic started and it was literally like one week or two weeks into lockdown, we were doing a a live stream on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And I said to people, you know, we will have to adapt to survive but we will adapt, we can adapt, and we will survive. And I think those things of how we've, how you're talking about little tributaries coming off and forming little different pools of how we do things and how we've adapted to this situation. Um, I just loved the, I loved the whole imagery of it, but I just tended to be like, yep, we'll change, we'll be grand, we'll <laughs> that, carry on, be that fine. Is your pragmatism in the face of extreme difficulty is total art? That's your version of it? Total art. Total art. My version is to be like, life is a river, man. <laughs> and that's not necessarily helpful to everybody. Some people vibe with that and some people are like, shut up, that's so annoying. That's not practical whatsoever. And they would like your approach. Which is like, this woman is saying sensible things in an authoritative way. I respect that. I'm going to listen to her. Mm. Well, I do that. But I also then write little melancholy songs, yes. you know, on the ukulele about how we 
don't have to be lonely and Your how river floweth elsewhere. Yes, it does. It flows into um make a music baby. Music baby. Rivers baby. Um so hopefully you've enjoyed this episode for um what's it called? Nimhaf? Nimhaf. <laughs> the Northern Ireland <laughs> Mental Health and Arts Festival. Um it's a festival that I have enjoyed only really realising about in the last couple of years when they've had to be online. Me too, yeah. Um, so I'm excited to see everything that comes out of it this year. Thank you, Nimhaf. Sorry if that's not an approved acronym. No, it might not be, but thank you for asking us to um, contribute this episode. We've really enjoyed it. We've enjoyed thinking about it, and we hope you've enjoyed it too. Hope it made sense. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks, Emma. Thanks, Thanks therapy. Um, we have been... Speaking, talk. Talking on words. Talking, fantastic. Carl Jung said, Will you say that again, please? Because you said, Carl. <laughs> 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 I had garlic mayo in my throat. <laughs> Darling child. I know you've been lonely All this time apart has shown me Together we are strong Together we can grow Survive any harm Weather any storm, even when I'm lost, I know where home is. It's in the shelter of each other that we live. Meet us there, we'll be down by. Together we are more We'll never be alone We'll gather you up And together we'll carry you home Even when I'm lost I know where home is It's in the shelter of each other that we live it's in the shelter of each other that we live